So I want to start this morning in 2 Peter chapter 2, and I wanted to just read a few of these scriptures here, and I want to talk to you about the compassion of Jesus this morning and his desire for you. And it's wonderful to know that we have a, a heavenly father, and he has demonstrated his love to us through his son, Jesus. And the way that that love is made real to us is through the person of the Holy Spirit. So the Godhead is all involved in saving us and rescuing us and getting us home. And um, that's a wonderful comfort for us to be able to know that God does know how to save. God knows how to save you out of whatever it is that you might be in. He knows how to deliver you. And it is the desire of God to deliver and to deliver the godly out of the things that they may find themselves in. And so in this particular scripture, we're going to kind of jump in in chapter two around verse five. And it says, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And I want you to just pause there for a moment. And I want us to understand something that God is a God of justice. And though he is the God of love and he is the God of mercy and he's kind and generous and so forth. When people choose to live an ungodly life which is a life that disregards God, which is a life that is offensive to God. And it is a life that is lived in rebellion to the ways of God and the way God has intended man to live. God is going to judge that. And he has every right to judge that. And so God is telling us very clearly in this passage in the New Testament, in a time of grace, it is telling us, listen, God will judge the ungodly. God is not going to allow people to get away with sinful living. He wants to save them from it. He would rather give them grace. He would rather forgive their sins. But if they don't turn to him, then he will certainly judge them in their unrighteousness. Um, somebody made a comment to me just in regards to the crime rate that is in Baton Rouge, which is absolutely horrible. Um, there's if you if you get these news flashes from our city, then you find that there's murder every day in Baton Rouge. There's kidnappings, there's there's addictions, there's just human trafficking. Everything that is going on in our city is absolutely horrible. And even people, we grew up here, we feel that so many areas of the city now are unsafe. Used to say, well, there's just particular areas where it's really not safe to be in Baton Rouge. But now people are being killed right out in front of the mall. And there's shootouts and things like that. And so it's kind of a fearful thing. But they somebody brought to our attention just the fact that we are a city that has abortion. And there are people that drive in from Texas because Texas has the heartbeat law. And so if the, the heartbeat's detected, then you can't abort your baby in Texas. So they're coming to Baton Rouge to do it. And now there's just, you know, thousands of babies being aborted in Baton Rouge. Why should we be surprised that if we're murdering each other on our streets? And so there's not a value of life. And, you know, things like that are God's judgment. The, the, the rise in crime, the rise in fear, the escalation in these things are judgments of God. And if we don't repent, what does God have to do? He has to increase his judgment. 
And we might see that through calamity or catastrophe, you know, natural disasters, strong hurricanes that might come and devastate our city and our state as a result of these immoral laws that our society is practicing. God is God and he sees it and he has every right to judge it. And so we have to understand that though he is kind and would much rather give mercy, he will judge and his desire of judgment is even to cause people to turn to him. So that we might be rescued from that. And so Paul, Peter is telling us that God will certainly do these things. But in the midst of his judgment, he knows that there are godly people there. And God knows how to deliver the godly. And it says he delivered just Lot. This is verse 7. Vexed with a filthy lifestyle of the wicked. And so that's how Lot lived his life. He was vexed with the lifestyle of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now, he didn't have to do that. He chose to do it. He chose to live there. And that's the way multitudes of Christians are living their life right now. They're vexing themselves. They're they're just in they just indulge themselves with the news The fear, the calamities of today, they just absorb that. The TV shows, the programs, you know, maybe we don't live in Sodom, but we let it live in our house through our televisions and things like that. And we vex ourselves and we don't have the peace that God wants us to have or really even the authority as Christians that we could have in our society today. And so that's the way Lot lived. But praise God, even in that condition Verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And so this is a beautiful passage of scripture because he's not using the most moral man. He's not using the greatest man of faith that ever lived to be an example of how God can deliver the godly from peril. But he's using a man of compromise. He's using a man who was willing to give his own daughters to a immoral crowd so that his daughters could be raped by them and and the the people could have their way with them. That's the kind of man we're talking about. But yet he was a righteous man and God delivered him from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And beloved, we understand as we come to the end of the world that God knows how to deliver us. He knows how to deliver us from his coming judgment. He knows how to deliver us from the wrath that is about to come upon this earth, which is going to be a greater demonstration of wrath than has ever happened on this planet before. It is going to be more severe than Noah's judgment in his day. The Bible tells us that there was never a tribulation like the one that's coming and there'll never be again one like it. And so God knows how to deliver us and praise God. We believe in a rapture. We believe that Jesus is going to come in the clouds and call his church home. And then there's going to be a seven year tribulation of great judgment. The primary purpose is to turn Israel to God and cause the Jews to believe in their Messiah. But there's going to be a devastation in the earth. We will be rescued before that occurs. And that is our hope, the blessed hope of the church and one that we rejoice in and we thank God in. And so he's not coming back for those that are just, you know, maybe 
perfect like we might imagine Abraham would have been or Sarah would have been. But he's going to rescue people like Lot, you know, praise God, you know, not maybe not just living the way that they should be living. But nonetheless, they're righteous. They believe in God and they hope in God and they're trusting in Jesus and God knows how to deliver us. That is just good news. The Bible tells us that he is the God of comfort. And I want you to turn to Mark chapter 8. And this is where I wanted to spend most of the day this morning. Because I love this passage of scripture. It's really encouraging. It shows the compassion of the Lord. It deals with some modern day false doctrine as well. That I wanted to touch on just a little bit. As we move into this chapter, I want to affirm to you that God is the God of all comfort and he has compassion upon us and he has made a way to comfort us. The Bible tells us in first John chapter one, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now that is packed with such importance. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins. So in order for God to be just in forgiving sinners of their sins, then God had to actively set something in place in order that sinners could be forgiven without paying the price of their sins. We know what that is. We know that God sent his son Jesus into the world to suffer for our sins and to pay the penalty of our sins so that when we put our faith in Jesus, we're passed from judgment to life. So we as Christians now, when we confess our sins to God, he's faithful to forgive them because of his son, Jesus, and he's just in forgiving us because of his son, Jesus. And so God, through his son, has nailed every offense of ours to the cross of Jesus Christ. He has completely punished us. As a matter of fact, even though we were not there in the redemption of God, we were also likewise crucified with Jesus on his cross. He was not just a substitution for me, but I was actually put there with him. This is the work of God. It is the operation of God. And I don't expect you to understand that. I don't understand that. The apostle Paul, who was not there on the day that Jesus died, he was not at Calvary. He was not a witness of the spectacle, was able to say to the Galatians in chapter two, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. And so he identified himself as being on that cross with Jesus, which just simply means my sins were paid for. I was judged. The penalty was enacted upon me. I died. And now I've risen to new life in Jesus Christ. And I will never suffer God's wrath for my sins again. Because it was already done at the cross once and for all. And beloved, that's the gospel. That is great news for everyone. You know, they were paid for. So God can comfort us. God can have compassion upon us. God can deliver us. Out of whatever it is that we might find ourselves in. Because he has made reconciliation. There's restitution for us. We're now not enemies of God. We're sons and daughters of God. And we walk with Jesus. And Jesus notices that we are followers of his. He notices that you're here today. He notices that you have a desire for him. He notices that you want to walk with him. He knows that. And as a result of that, out of his bounty, his goodness, he wants to give you things. 
The problem with so much of Christianity is not that God is refusing to give. Christians are just so unable or lack faith to receive from God what he has actually given us. And as I've said to the church so many times before, I don't think we really know how to ask God for things. And so our asking is all wrong, you know. And so we just think asking God for things is the way we might ask one another for things, you know. And we might, you know, ask our, our earthly fathers for something. Can I borrow some money? Can I, you know, can I do this? Can I have the keys to the car? And so you just, that's what asking is, right? You just go and do that. But with God, asking is completely different. If you want the presence of God, it's not you just say, God, give us your presence, but you praise him because that's what brings the presence of God in. Now, you don't have to have his presence and you don't have to be aware of his presence. But if you want to be, then you praise God. And if you need finances, if you need a blessing in your life, how do you ask God? You give, you give. And if you're dealing with something in your life an ailment in your life, if there's something lacking in your life and you need the touch of God, what do you do? You touch him with your infirmity. You bring that to him and you touch him with that. and You expose that to him and he goes to work for you. And so these are ways that we ask God for things and we believe God for things. And it's always through grace. It's not through merit or debt that we come and ask God for. If you do this for me, I'll do that for you. And I'm not saying God doesn't respond to things like that because sometimes he does. But it's not deal making with God. It's believing. It's having faith. And that's how we really ask God. It's in faith and coming to God the way that he said. But he's good and he has compassion on us and he loves us and he bears us up and he helps us. And so as we come to this, I want you to see the compassion of Jesus. This is in Mark 8 and we're going to read verses 1 through 9 and then I'm going to come back and talk about it. In those days, the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own homes, they will faint by the way, for many of them have come from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, how many loaves have you? And they said, seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes. And he blessed And commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. Or he sent them home. So that they could get back to their homes. And I wanted to just mention a few things about this. That that really stand out to me. And I think this is just worth us really noting in our life. And this is the compassion that Jesus has for us. Number one, Jesus understands that the people who are around him have a need. He understands where they are and he understands what they lack. And beloved, I want you to know this morning that Jesus knows where you are. You've gathered here. We are technically in a biblical sense in the presence of God for we have gathered in his name. We are not here as Muslims. 
We're not here as Mormons. We're here as Christians who are gathering in the name of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, to honor the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit for the grace and the mercy that he has bestowed upon our life. We are here today in a church service, not because it is our duty, but because it is our birthright and it is our desire to be with God. We want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. So in a way, we have come and we've gathered around the Lord. We're with him, just as these guys were with him. And Jesus discerns and he notes the things that are in your life. And he knows the things that you are lacking in your life. He knows those that are depressed. He knows those that are hopeless. He knows those that are despairing, those that are sick, those that are weak. And there is one thing that we have to recognize about Jesus Christ. He does not lack compassion. Especially those that are pursuing him and coming to him. He has compassion upon you. And in the compassion of Jesus, he is stirred to do something for you. He wants to help you. That's why the compassions of the Lord are fresh and new every morning. Jeremiah lived in a terrible time in history. A terrible time in Jewish history. And his city was besieged by an invading army. And they besieged the city in an effort to cause it to starve. And it was horrible. It was horrible what the Jews had to undergo. And this was all because of their rebellion against God and their desire to worship false gods and ignore the living God. And so they began to starve and they thirsted and they didn't have food and all of this. And Jeremiah is writing in his book, Lamentations. And that book is just the weepings of the prophet is really what it means. It was the devastation. It was the horrible things that the people were suffering. And Jeremiah would begin to write in all of those things about the perils. But he would write things, great is your faithfulness, God. And if it had not been for God's faithfulness, we would have fainted. And he said that your compassions fail not. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. And it was the understanding of that, living in situations that they couldn't understand, that would cause Jeremiah to be able to go on into the next day, that God's going to be compassionate upon me. And so I want you to know something this morning, that God knows where you are. He knows what you lack. He knows the things that are limiting in your life. And as we were singing the song today, all of the promises in him are yes and amen. And so whatever it is, God wants to bless you today. God wants to help you today. I'm by no means suggesting he's going to make your present peril over this moment. But I do want to say he's going to step into it as the God of all comfort. And he's going to reveal something about himself to you. And at the end of the day, if you really have this encounter with God... You will somehow, in a strange way, and in a way that would look very foolish to the watching world, you will be thankful to God for the trials that you've walked through because of the fellowship you'll have with God in your life. Perhaps God will heal you today. Perhaps God will give you a financial blessing today. Perhaps God will relieve you of your depression today. Perhaps God will heal you of your molestation today. Perhaps God will deliver you from your abuse today. He oftentimes does that for those that ask him. And so I just encourage you to lay your need out before the Lord because you have come around him today and he is excited and he is glad that you are with him and he wants to help you. And then the second thing that I want you to understand about the compassion of Jesus is this. His compassions upon us are not because of our faith. 
And this is something that we need to understand. These disciples, Jesus recognizes the need and he says, how can we satisfy them? And the disciples get in the face of Jesus. I mean, imagine this. They get up in Jesus' face and they say, what man can satisfy them? And you've got 4,000 people. And probably a couple of weeks earlier, you had 5,000 people who didn't have anything to eat. And they only had a little bread and fish just a couple of weeks earlier. And Jesus satisfied them. And we're not talking about lost men. We're talking about the very disciples of Jesus get up in his face and say, what man could satisfy them? And that is so typical of us. Because we could see a miracle a week ago, but not believe for one today. And I thank God that the compassions of Jesus Christ are not relying upon our faith sometimes. Because sometimes we're not exercising the faith that we need to exercise. And contrary to some of the modern doctrines of a positive faith movement or a hyper faith movement or a word of faith movement. We don't always believe the way that we should. I'm reminded of the man who had a need in his life and he said, Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. Boy, I'm so thankful that that is in the Bible. Because I don't know how many times I've gone to God. I know you can do it. I'm just not certain right now. There's a lot of unbelief going on in me. There's a battle going on in me. Oh God, help me right there. And Jesus will help you right there. And he will help you to believe. And so it's wonderful to be able to understand that. And I want you to know this too. Don't give up on God because the church may give up on you. And, and this is this seems to be a pattern in Christianity You know, the church offended me. The church is going to offend you. You're going to offend yourself. And so people are going to offend you. People are going to let you down. And don't let the lack of enthusiasm or the lack of faith or the lack of ability in Christians around you to discourage you from what God wants to do with you. You're going to have problems in your life. You're going to be depressed in your life. You're going to have setbacks in your life. You're going to have sickness in your life. You're going to have perils in your life. And you're going to want to go to the church and you're going to say, hey, please pray for me. Help me. I need help. And Christians are going to look at you and say, I don't know what to do with you. I just have no clue. I don't, there's nothing I can do for you. Well, don't be discouraged by that because there's somebody in the church that can. Thank God. And that is Jesus Christ. So don't be discouraged when Christians are. And don't let Christians define what God is able to do for you and what God wants to do for you. And oftentimes this seems to be the way Christians may behave or react to certain situations in life. And so it wasn't because of their faith that Jesus was about to help them. It was simply because of his compassion. And I thank God for that. Beloved, you can come into this room today and you can come in here with really no faith that Jesus is going to help you. You've been walking in this for so long. I've been dealing with this for so long. And I'm just going to church because I do love God and I believe in the Lord. And I need to be there and I want to be there. But I have no great expectation that God is going to really help me today. Well, you may be surprised and I pray to God that you will be today. 
Because oftentimes the compassion of God is poured out upon us, not because we even ask for it. And certainly not because we deserve it. And perhaps we don't even have the faith for it. I'm reminded of Jesus being in the town center on one particular day. And all of a sudden, the whole scene in the town began to change. Because there was a funeral procession moving through the town. And there was a widow who was now all alone because her son had died. And she was going to bury her son. And Jesus is there and he's watching the funeral procession. Nobody asked him to do anything. The lady never cried out to Jesus. Can you help me? Is there anything that you can do? Nobody said a word to Jesus. But Jesus knew. He knew the woman was alone. He knew that her husband was already dead. He knew that now her son was dead and they're going to bury him. So Jesus, by his compassion, goes to work. And he stops the funeral And he opens up, if it was a coffin, he opens it up. He raises the boy back to life and joins the boy back to his mama. Why? Because God is a God of compassion. And beloved, I want to say to you this morning, you have no idea of all of the mercies of God that have been poured out upon your life every single day of your life. There are things that God has done. We have no idea he did it. We have no idea of the love that he's shown us. We have no idea of the mercy that he's given us. We're such an ungrateful people. Most of us in this room are, you know, middle-aged, older. And so we have, we, we, we can look at the young people today. We can look at the teenagers today and we can have this attitude. They're so ungrateful. They just don't know how to give thanks for anything. They don't know how to appreciate anything. If they had grown up like I grew up, if they had grown up in the depression, if they had grown up in the war, if they had grown up in this and grown up in that, I'll tell you, that's, they'd have been a lot different than they are today. That's not the way we were raised. That's not the way we, but I'm going to tell you something. Most people in the church treat God the way you see teenagers treating other people. And I'm talking about us. I'm talking about you guys in here. Most of us treat God the same way we despise the way teenagers treat other people and their elders today. And if we treated God with a half of the respect that we should be given to him, I believe it would change the attitude of teenagers. I believe it would change the attitude of our younger generation. And they would begin to be more grateful because they would see gratefulness. They would see that. They would have an appreciation for it. But I'm so thankful that he is the God who shows compassion upon us even though. Even though, you know. And he does that for us. He he, he might have saved you from an accident just coming to church today. And, and you have no idea what he did for you. He woke you up. He, he made you leave later. Or he made you leave earlier. Whatever it might be. That split second could have saved your life. Because God orders your steps. And he knows how to take care of you. And he knows what to bring into your life. And I don't, I don't know that any of us. Well I know this when we get to heaven. We'll be astounded at the mercies of God. That he has shown us throughout all of our life. And so I thank the Lord that God sees us and he has compassion upon us. And because of that, we can hope in his goodness. Jesus said to the disciples, the reason I want to do something for them is because they've been with me. And I think this is a key factor. They've been with me. And beloved, if that is all your faith can do, do that. Be with him. Don't forsake him. Don't turn away from him. If you come to God and you're kicking and screaming and crying and you're pitiful, pitiful and you're miserable and, you know, your faith is weak, just stay with him. Just stay with him. Stay with him like that 
just lay at his feet and cry and wail because he will have compassion upon you. He had compassion because they were with him and they were there. We have no record that Jesus fed any hungry person in the nearby cities. We have no record of that. I'm sure there were homeless people in the cities nearby. I'm sure that there were people who were poor in the cities nearby. I'm sure there were people in the cities nearby who probably hadn't had anything to eat for a couple of days or more. But we don't, re- we don't read anything about Jesus' compassion upon them and feeding them and taking care of their poverty. But he does take care of the need of those that are with him. And you need to be with Jesus. And if that's all that your faith can do, then do that. And I love this aspect of it. And this is the thing that I want to say. And he said this. This was his desire. And I just want you to read this with me. He says in verse 3. If I send them away fasting to their own houses. They will faint by the way. And what this says to me is this. If I don't do something for them. They won't make it home. They won't make it home. They're not going to make it. And beloved what that speaks to me about is this. That Jesus really wants me to be with him in heaven. He wants me to make it home. And that is the bigger picture. And that is the greater reality. And it's not so much that I have everything in this life. Maybe not even everything in this life that I need. Though he will supply all of my needs. But the greatest thing in my life is that I make it home to heaven. That I'm able to spend eternity with him. That I'm able to look upon his father. That I'm able to be and live as his son for the rest of all eternity. And to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. And I am so grateful that I have a Savior who is caring and careful to get me home. And he knows what I need to get there. And he knows that if he doesn't give it, I may faint along the way. And so he is going to bestow that provision upon me. And even if I have Christians around my life telling me how pathetic I am, you're so pitiful. I don't even know that you're saved. I don't know how God could ever love you. You're just such a disappointment. You're such a discouragement. This and that. Whatever they may want to say. I'm so thankful that Jesus still says. In spite of all of that. He's with me. And if I don't give him what he needs. He won't make it home. If I've got Christians telling God. How in the world can anybody satisfy leadership? He's just a negative person and depressed all the time. Jesus nevertheless. Give him what he needs. So that he can make it home. And I thank the Lord that Jesus said in this passage. That they have come a long way. They've been with me for three days. I've been with Jesus for 52 years. 53 years coming up. I've been with him a long time. And he knows it. And he certainly doesn't want to fail me. And he certainly wants to give me what I need. Maybe you've only been saved three days. Maybe you've been saved three weeks. Maybe you've been saved three years. That's a long time to Jesus. I'm going to give you what you need. And so as we, Carla, comes up and we take some time to worship this morning, what I would really like for us to do and give you the opportunity to do is to really ask the Lord. But listen, beloved, when you ask him, be careful. That you open up your heart to receive from him. Because it's one thing to say God will you do this for me. God says yes I will. 
Every promise in him is yes and amen. Everyone. God, will you heal me? Yes. God, will you comfort me? Yes. God, will you provide for me? Yes. It's not a matter of well, will God or not. It's a matter of will you receive? Will you receive what God has to give you? So I'm just going to ask you to lay your petitions down before the Lord this morning. I want you to just begin to pray. And the altars are open for you. And just ask you to pray, God, I need you to meet my needs. I need you to meet my needs. My faith is weak. My faith is fainting. I want to make it home. I want to make it home. I want to get to heaven. This world is a hard place to live in. There's temptation everywhere. You know how to deliver me out of it. Please deliver me out of it, God. Help me, God. There's a lot of things, like Lot, that might be vexing you. God knows how to set you free from it. So we just worship Him for the next few minutes this morning.